everyone, you're listening to Bionic Bug Podcast with fiction author and national security expert Natasha Bajma. Join me as I discuss the latest news about emerging technology, read chapters from Bionic Bug, and explore the real-life technologies featured in my novel. We'll discuss where fiction meets reality in the future. Hey everyone, welcome back to Bionic Bug Podcast. You are listening to episode number 41. This is your host, Natasha Bajma, fiction author, futurist, and national security expert. I'm recording this episode on January 20, 2019. Two episodes in one week? Yes, it's true. This is my second to last episode of Bionic Bug. Um, It's been a pleasure um, producing these episodes. I hope you've enjoyed them. If you like this podcast and you want to continue to listen to me rant about um, technology and various other things, I hope you'll tune into my podcast called, my new podcast called Authors of Mass Destruction, which will be launching in March. We'll focus on weapons of mass destruction, but also emerging technologies um, aimed at helping authors get the technical details right. Okay, let's talk tech. I have one headline for this week. Twins get some mystifying results when they put five DNA ancestry kits to the test, published on CBC Online on January 18. Throughout this podcast, I've talked about the power of data. I've warned you to think about how freely you give it out. I've talked about the potential risks of sending your DNA away to companies like 23andMe and Ancestry.com. Many of you do it anyway, since you're curious about your ancestry, and I can understand that. However, this article raises questions about the value of that data in the first place and may cause you to ask whether or not you really want to know your ancestry from these companies. The DNA of twins is identical. In other words, if a pair of twins were each to send off their DNA for an ancestry result, then the results should be an exact match. A pair of twins, Charlesy and Carly Agro, decided to test this premise and sent their DNA to five companies, Ancestry DNA, MyHeritage, 23andMe, Family Tree DNA, and Living DNA. I didn't even know there were so many companies. Um, and they were surprised by the results, which were not exact matches. The results from, for example, California-based 23andMe seemed to suggest each twin had unique twists in their ancestry composition. According to 23andMe's findings, Charles C. had nearly 10% less broadly European ancestry than her sister, twin sister, Carly. She also has French and German ancestry, 2.6%, that her sister doesn't share, her identical twin sister. They also apparently have different degrees of Eastern European heritage, 28% for Charles C. compared to 24.7% for Carly. And while Carly's Eastern European ancestry was linked to Poland, the country was listed as not detected in Charlesy's results. Troubling stuff, huh? None of the five companies provided the same ancestry breakdown for the twins. What the hell? What's going on here? Dr. Mark Gerstein, a computational biologist at Yale University, thinks this must have to do with the algorithms each company uses to crunch the DNA data. What? What does this mean? What this means is that detecting ancestry from DNA is more of an art than a science. It's a frontier science. We are at the beginning of being able to do this, um, but this isn't what the companies are selling you in exchange for your precious data, are you? No, they're selling you no kidding ancestry results, but it's now been proven that they're not quite correct. Not only that, as sample size increases and we learn more and more about the human genome, if you resubmit your DNA, your ancestry results could change. 
So it begs the question whether it's worth it in the first place to give up your precious DNA information to companies who are basically selling that information for other reasons in exchange for, hmm, you know, a horoscope profile. And the worst case here, or the you know scary part, is that despite the popularity of this testing, there's no government or oversight of this industry to ensure the validity of the results. Um, interesting stuff. Let's turn to Bionic Bug. Last week, Lar interviewed Fiddler and tried to get information about Cybershop. Will she bring Sully's killer to justice? Let's find out what happens next. Chapter 41, The Anagram. A week passed quickly after the beetle attack on the Pentagon. Lara had grown weary of the case. She wanted things to return to normal and to put the pieces of her life back together. But first, she had to bring Sully's killer to justice. After combing through Sully's files in the storage unit, the FBI found sufficient evidence of Linda's involvement and the existence of an accomplice. But nothing helpful for tracking her whereabouts her activities as Cybershop, or the identity of her accomplice. Interpol launched a Europe-wide search for her and her known aliases, but there was still no sign of her. Now, Lara followed Justine down the endless winding hallways of the NSA at Fort Meade. This time, Justine donned an indigo-blue Dolce & Gabbana suit ensemble, a Hermes scarf, and gaudy jewelry. Her matching high heels clicked loudly on the tile floors, Lara felt rather underdressed in her black leggings, gray t-shirt, and leather jacket. The rubber soles of her worn-out running shoes squeaked as she tried to keep up with Justine's pace. Thanks for coming all the way out here. I know it's a long trek from D.C., especially on the weekend. Justine's shiny black hair swooshed back and forth to match her gait. Her perfume wafted past Lara's nose. It was always the same tropical floral scent. Not a problem, Lara said. The Baltimore-Washington Parkway is rather beautiful this time of year. I'm sure the fall colors were a great relief after all you've been through on this case, Justine said, shaking her head in disbelief. The beetle attacks, nearly getting hit by a car, Fiddler taking you hostage, and even arson in your own townhouse. I'm not sure how I could have survived all of that. Lara checked her wrist for her wearable smartphone, and her stomach lurched. Then she remembered it was safely locked up at the visitor control center. She felt vulnerable without it. Yes, it's been quite the ordeal, Lara said, trying to pay attention to her surroundings. She wanted to memorize the route through the building, but couldn't keep track of where Justine was leading her. Every hallway looked identical, barren and lined with stark white walls. The occasional unmarked doorway didn't help either. And I owe you my life at least once, Lara added. Now, now, anyone would have done the same thing in my place, Justine said, turning the corner. And don't forget, you rescued me from that beetle swarm. All the doors were made of steel and marked with room numbers. Lara let her imagination go wild as they navigated the halls, picturing what might be hidden behind them. Many of the rooms were skiffs to allow for top-secret classified work and could only be entered through a combination key code and with the proper clearance. This is where I live. When I'm not on detail, Justine said cheerfully, shielding the keypad as she punched in her code. When the lock released, she opened the door and motioned for Lara to enter. Inside the skiff, the office suite was much larger than Lara had imagined from the hallway. Six blandly decorated cubicles occupied the center of the suite. They were surrounded by offices with doors on either side. The computers and lights were off, and there was no sign of activity. It's really quiet in here, Lara said, fidgeting with her jacket zipper. 
No one works on weekends, except when there's a crisis of some sort, Justine said, walking into a windowless office and turning on the light. Thankfully, things have been pretty quiet the past few days. Justine motioned for Lara to sit in the leather chair across from her desk while she booted up her computer and entered her password. Lara draped her leather jacket around the back of the chair and took a seat. Opening a desk drawer, Justine pulled out a pack of cigarettes. Do you mind? Lara lied and shook her head, but immediately felt uneasy. You smoke? Once in a while, she said, lighting up a cig and taking a long draw, blowing the smoke above her in Lara's direction. To relax after a stressful week. Not once had she detected the smell of cigarettes on Justine. Of course, the woman had always lathered herself with strong perfume. Is that why? To cover up the smell of smoke? Lara shifted uncomfortably in her seat as a hint of smoke assaulted her. The whole thing reminded her of the conversation with Linda in the warehouse. Something feels familiar. But Lara couldn't put her finger on it. I heard from Agent Martin that the FBI found Stepanov's body in the warehouse at Beautific Creations. So tragic, Justine frowned. It seems that Linda had no further need for her accomplice. Lara nodded, suddenly wanting to cut to the chase. Rob said you had Sigint that might help us determine where Linda Maxwell may be hiding out. Justine nodded. Yes, we caught several conversations coming over the wire. Our Sigint analysts were, are examining the transcripts for possible leads. It seems Linda is well-connected with known international criminal networks across Europe. Oh, really? Laura raised her eyebrows. During her short time at Beautific Creations, she didn't get the sense Linda was shrewd enough to be engaged in international crime. Okay, here we go, Justine announced, opening up some files on her computer. Just pull up a chair and you can read over my shoulder. Would it be possible to get a hard copy? Reading on computer screens makes my eyes go buggy, Laura said. It was a simple ruse to give her a moment to look around and collect her thoughts. Something was off. Sure, I'll go print two copies on the classified printer, and we can review them together and see if we find any information on Linda's whereabouts. Justine walked out into the office suite, leaving Lara alone for a few minutes to peruse her office. Even without windows, the office was comfortable, spacious, and well-furnished, reflecting Justine's apparent seniority in her department. Lara wondered why Justine moved over to DARPA for a temporary assignment. Was it really for the internal investigation? Behind the oak desk, a large bookshelf ran along the back wall. It was filled to the brim with books on encryption, cryptology, espionage, and coding. Lara got up out of her seat to get a closer look at Justine's vast collection. A book on, dr a book on drone technology at the top shelf caught Lara's attention, and then a book underneath. The book underneath sent chills down her spy spine, a history of napalm. Standing on her tiptoes, Lara grabbed the two books down from the shelf. As they slid down into her hands, a large black object sitting on the top came crashing down and landed on the floor next to her with a loud thud. She looked down to see what had fallen, and the blood drained from her face. Sully's remote? Lara picked up the black gadget with the thick antennae and examined it carefully. It was the same remote she'd seen on the cement floor next to Sully's dead body. Why does Justine have it? Justine's heels clicked on the tile floor of the hall as she approached her office, and Lara shoved the napalm book onto the lower shelf and froze, holding the remote. What are you doing? Justine asked, her tone stiff. Lara's heart raced. Oh, I was, um, intrigued by your book on drone technology. When I pulled the book from the shelf, this gadget fell to the floor. I hope I didn't break it. It looks expensive. It's fine, Justine said, waving it off. Her lips were pressed into a thin line as she eyed the remote. Lara paused for a moment, contemplating her next words carefully. 
This looks like Sully's remote, actually. Justine grabbed the remote from Lara and put it on her desk. Well, it's not. I had a replica made as part of my investigation into Cybershop. Lara furrowed her brow. But how did you know what it looked like and what technology was used? This is an exact copy. I studied Linda's communications over the dark web with Fiddler and reverse engineered it. Justine avoided eye contact. Now, let's take a look at these transcripts. I thought we could each read through on our own and then exchange ideas on anything that stands out. Lara stared at the paper and tried to read, but her thoughts lingered on the remote. Her mind raced as she analyzed everything she'd learned over the past several weeks. Her review suggested two possibilities. Either Justine was telling the truth about replicating the remote, or Justine had taken it from the townhouse after setting the fire. Lara looked up, scrunching her face at the woman sitting across from her. Justine's piercing blue eyes narrowed at her. Are you done reading yet? Uh, no, sorry. My mind wandered off for a minute, Lara said. She bit her lower lip and looked back at the paper. If you wouldn't mind focusing on the task at hand, I do have other things to take care of, you know. Justine's voice was terse. I know, I'm sorry. I've been a bit distracted by everything that's been going on. Actually, I'm wondering about something. And what might that be? Justine crossed her eyes and raised an eyebrow. Why are you no longer on detail assignment over at DARPA? Justine waved off her question. Oh, that? It ended a week ago when I returned to my office here. I told you my assignment was related to the internal investigation into Cybershop, and we found sufficient evidence on Stepanov. Like a bolt out of the blue, the answers came flooding to Lara. There was only one thing that made sense. Justine is Cybershop. All the evidence fit. Well, at least most of it did. Justine was there when her fuel line was cut. Justine stole Sully's remote from the townhouse and set the fire. She returned to the scene of the crime to steal the baseball glove and left it at Anita's practice. She must also have stolen samples of Anita's DNA to plant in the warehouse and at her townhouse. Justine was the other female voice on the intercom and the BMW getaway driver at Beautific Creations. This also explained Fiddler's confusion about the picture of Linda, because they'd actually met. He'd actually met Justine. They do look alike. The biggest problem was all the DNA and fingerprint evidence that matched Linda. The DNA from her bike, the hair from her townhouse, and the saliva on the cigarette butt from the warehouse. Now the evidence matched Marcia Husney. Lara sat up straight in her chair as a revelation entered her mind. Marcia Husney is an anagram for Justine Marsh. Suddenly it all became clear. It was never Linda's alias after all. Justine must be deaf in one ear. That's why she always stands so close to me all the time. You're the one who cut my fuel line, aren't you? Lara said, her heart racing. Justine's eyes grew large. No, that was Linda. Come, let's focus on finding out where, we ran, where she ran off to. The jig is up, Justine. Lara's heart beat wildly. She knew Cybershop to be ruthless, knew she was taking a risk, but the words were out before she could really think about it. I know Linda didn't do it. You were the only other person there that day. The cops found Linda's DNA on your bike, not mine, Justine snapped. That black BMW is your car, isn't it? It's the same one that ran Frank and Nita off the bridge. The same one that tried to run me down with fake plates. Lara shook her head. I should have known a woman like you would never drive a white Honda. And all the makeup in Justine's trunk must have been from beautific creations. You're the one who doctored the video feed from the Beetle, aren't you? Lara asked, recalling the grainy video and the missing footage. 
Laura, I don't know what you're talking about. Stop this nonsense now. Her eyes narrowed. It was you all along, Laura gasped. It was right in front of my eyes, but I didn't want to believe it. Linda is your identical twin sister, isn't she? I mean, you two are so different in demeanor and even a little off in weight, but you look an enough alike to be sisters. That's why the DNA evidence pointed to her. Your DNA is identical. Justine glared at Lara, pinching her lips closed. For a few minutes, an awkward silence hovered between them. Then a mirthless smile fell across Justine's face. Yes, Linda is my twin sister. After all her plastic surgery, she doesn't look identical to me anymore. And the brown contact lenses keep people fooled. And yes, I hacked the wireless transmission of the beetle and corrupted the file. I couldn't have you see me and my sister toss Sully's townhouse now, could I? Of course, I left some footage of my sister and Ashton's to send you in the wrong direction. Lara's jaw dropped. Only now she could see the close resemblance and imagine Justine's face under all of Linda's plastic surgery. She was ashamed she had not seen it, realized it sooner. What were you looking for at Sully's townhouse? Justine grimaced. I knew Sully had moved his case files to some secret location, but I was convinced he still had the cardboard box from the remote I sent him. That box could have led authorities to my, the apartment out in Laurel. I needed to get it back. Why did you kill Sully? Lara asked. Justine began pacing her office. He was relentless in his investigation to Cybershop's identity and discovered our fall guy Stepanov was innocent. When he caught on to my sister's activities, I had no choice but to get rid of him. Did you kill Frank Moore and his son too? Lara asked. That nag Frank wouldn't leave me alone. He watched me like a hawk. One day he found some real evidence against me and asked me about it. What a naive man. Justine shook her head. He actually came to me with the evidence and told me he wanted to give me a chance to explain myself before reporting me. What choice did I have? But his whole family? Justine shrugged her shoulders. It looked like he was running away. I was worried he would disappear, report me, and return only when I was behind bars. It was them or me. I made a choice. You were at Beautific Creations that day, weren't you? It was your voice over the intercom when we came to meet Linda. You've been setting up your sister to take the fall for you. Justine nodded. Yes and no. Linda always managed to get into trouble with the law, even as a teenager, so she had a record. She owed me for bailing her out and was glad to help me out of my tight spot. We used her name to register the BMW and sign my apartment lease. We created fake plates that matched Stepanovs to throw you off. I left my DNA on the fuel line of your bike, knowing the profile was in the system was Marcia Husney. I knew if we got caught, suspicion would be directed toward Linda instead of me. But why did you help me so many times? Lara asked, confused. Justine had set up the appointment with Dr. Grayson, backed her up several times, and even saved her life. As soon as you showed up at DARPA, I knew you had taken over Sully's investigation of Cybershop. I tried to push you off the scent, but you are as persistent as a dog after a bone. Actually, I was investigating Sully's murder, not Cybershop, Lara snapped. I didn't know who killed Sully at the time. I simply followed all the clues, and they led me here. When you called me to come out to the Cryptologic Museum, I decided to pre pretend to work with you. Maybe you could lead me to Fiddler. He was my final loose end and was getting too close to Linda. I couldn't relax until he was eliminated. I tracked your movements with a surveillance drone. So I wasn't crazy. I was being watched. 
That's how I knew you visited Anita, Justine said. So I planted your precious baseball glove at her office to confuse you. Of course, I brought it to the office at DARPA first and put it on Stepanov's office chair to trick him into touching it. I also locked you and Rob in the safe room and destroyed the keypad to keep you in there. I had an inkling you discovered my apartment and needed time to pack up everything and help my sister escape. But we got there before she'd left, Lara said. And you knew I was kidnapped by a fiddler at the storage company because you tracked my location using your drone. Yes, Justine grimaced. Actually, the drone surveillance allowed us to kill two birds with one stone. When we saw Stepanov was there as well, Linda and I cut the power at the storage company. She snatched up Stepanov and got rid of him for good. And I walloped you over the head, stole the file Sully put together about me, and then kept my eye on you until you were kidnapped. It's a good thing I did, don't you agree? Why didn't you just kill me then, when I was unconscious? Lara asked. Because I needed you to lead me to Fiddler. When he kidnapped you and brought you to his lab, that's when I figured out we had Fiddler's address all along. Why did you do it? Lara asked, sneaking glances around the office to plan her escape. She knew Justine would not have confessed everything if she intended to let her live. Do what? Why did you betray your country to sell top-secret technology? Why did you kill innocent people to protect your secret? Out of the corner of her eye, Lara glanced at the door. Do you think I can afford such nice things on a government salary? Justine pointed to her designer watch and jewelry. I wanted the good life like everyone else. I wasn't going to get that being a public servant. I didn't think I was hurting anyone. Frank stuck his nose where it didn't belong. That's when things got out of hand. You sold your soul for trinkets? Lars shook her head in disgust. I think we've talked long enough. She opened her desk drawer and took out a syringe. Lara didn't have to guess what was in it. Botulinum toxin. I hoped it wouldn't come to this, Justine sighed and stepped toward Lara. But you never stop. Lara's eyes darted toward the exit and she jumped up from her chair. She bolted toward the steel door and opened it and burst into the office suite. She ran down the aisle, through the cubicles, and grabbed the handle of the steel skiff door, but it wouldn't budge. Justine's heels snapped quickly on the floor behind her. Panicking, she looked for a button to engage the lock. She pressed it, but the door remained locked. On the wall next to the button was an electronic keypad. Lara's heart sank. She would need Justine's key code to get out. She turned around and Justine lunged toward her with the syringe, trying to stab her in the arm. Lara dodged the swipe and ran back toward the cubicles, rolling office chairs in her path to block the way. You're trapped, Justine yelled. There's no way out. As Lara ran around the cubicles, something wrapped around her left foot and she tripped, the weight of her body thrusting her forward. As she fell to the floor, she glimpsed the thick cable that had caught her foot. Seconds later, Justine pressed her knee into Lara's back and put her arm around Lara's throat, bringing the pointy end of the syringe to her eyes. Don't worry, it'll be over fast. She pulled the needle away from Lara's face. Lara closed her eyes and waited for the needle prick. Thanks for listening to the Bionic Bug Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. You can also support my time in producing the show with Patreon at www.patreon.com. That's P-A-T. R-E-O-N forward slash Natasha Bajma. See you next week.